For all of Gabriel's show dates and ticket links go to gabrielrutledge.com. Or don't. If you would like to support this podcast by subscribing for $5 a month, click the Substack link in the episode notes. You won't get any extra episodes, but Gabriel will think warm thoughts about you. And now it's time for the drive home with Gabriel Rutledge. Play the royalty-free hip-hop music. Now here's your host, Gabriel. Well, this whole podcast is a lie. Uh, This is not the drive home, it's the drive away. The drive to. Going to Victoria, British Columbia today. It's a whole nother country. Uh, you know, couple a uh, couple hour drive, ninety minute boat ride. To go to Hecklers in Victoria, BC. If you're a comedian uh, from America, the ultimate Canada comedy experience is probably uh, just for laughs in Montreal, which I've never done. But I feel like. Fundraiser for youth hockey. Yeah. I don't think you can get more Canadian than what's happening right now. We canceled wait night for this. We're not fucking around. Just uh, it's gonna be a probably a uh, rollicking rolling boat ride because it's a very windy blustery rainy day here in the Pacific Northwest the kind of weather that we get every November the kind of weather that even global warming can't fix do I have my passport? yes I remember my passport I'm all good This port of entry, actually, I take. I could go up to Vancouver. Um, I know you guys tune in for what possible travel routes I could be taking, but I could drive up to Vancouver, British Columbia, and take a boat. It's a very short boat ride from there, but it's a little easier to uh, drive to Port Angeles and take a boat ride. The uh, Victoria. British Columbia uh, port of entry you know uh, you have to get through immigration, security whatever they call it I got in trouble there one time not big trouble not like they found heroin in my anal cavity But I one time I was there. This is so long ago. Because right now, all you there's like, uh, it's really hard for Canadians to come here and do stuff. Like Canadian comedians, it's a whole rigmarole. Rigmarole. Rigam. It's a whole thing uh, to come down to America to work. You know, you got to get some sort of work visa, green card thing. You have to pay a whole bunch of money to do it. Uh, but for uh, America, I just kind of say, hey, I'm here to work at Heckler's. And they go, okay, There's, it's not really a thing. But at one point in time, years and decades ago, 
it used to be if you were doing a designated comedy club or theater or something like that, you were okay. But if you were doing a bar, if you were doing comedy at a, at a bar, it was like a different thing. It wasn't quite legal if it wasn't a, a designated performance area. And so you would have to kind of lie at the border. You know, I'm visiting a friend or whatever. And so I was working this same club very, very long ass time ago. And uh, they're like, what are you here for? And I go, I'm visiting my friend Dan. And Dan was uh, actually the name of the person who was booking it at the time. And they're like, you're just going to hang out with Dan for a couple days? And I was like, yeah. They're like, is this some sort of hookup thing? I'm like, all right. Immigration. Where I put my penis isn't your concern. You don't need to know what I had to do to get this gig. I go, no, it's just my friend. I don't know. They didn't didn't like the cut of my jib. They didn't have a lot else going on, I guess. So then uh, I had to pull over and they took my stuff. They went and talked about me. I think I told them. I don't know what. I don't remember the exact details. They come back out. They looked online. They saw I was working hecklers. And the thing of it was, I was allowed to do it. There was no... I didn't need to lie. But I did lie. And I, my only defense was like, well, I was just trying to expedite the process. Sometimes it's a whole thing. You know, you don't always know. Different people don't know what immigration, if I need work permits and stuff. So I was just like, I thought I'd try to speed it up by saying I'm busy and a friend. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't work. Uh, and anyway, so... They sent me home. I had to call the club. I had to be like, I can come back tomorrow. I got, I had a problem. But they sent me home for lying. It was a very uh, parental infraction. You didn't do anything wrong, but you lied for no reason. So then I came back the next day. I got in. Like I said, this is more than 10 years ago. But ever since that time, I had a little mark on my uh, record, you know? I had a little, uh, every time I entered Canada, which was a lot. I wanted to go back and fuck Dan. But every time I entered Canada, they would be like, have you ever had a trouble at the border before? And I would have to discuss what happened. And I always got in, but it always, like, raised an eyebrow and was a little tougher screening process. And then mercifully, I don't know, two, three years ago, uh, I had to go, uh, often I have to park and talk about what I'm going to do in their country. And this guy, a guy said, I'm going to take, he took it off, an immigration guy, he took it off, he took my black mark off of my record and now it's been so much easier 
knock on Kia Rio. It's been so much easier uh, to get in. able to tell, but I hope my recording doesn't keep getting interrupted by phone calls. Because I made, <laughs> I made a mistake. And, uh... This, I did this same thing one time when I was thinking about refinancing our house. And then I'm like, ah, I don't really want to do it. But I, somehow I, I, you know, I went to the wrong thing. People got my phone number. And, you know, for a week, you know, 12 refinancing mortgage places were calling me a day. Hey, I heard you're interested in, hey, I heard you. And I'm like, I did, how did you, what form did I, I didn't fill out any forms. How did you find me? I did it again. Not about refinancing, but. My parents are actually going to give us their old car, which is really nice. They got a new car, and rather than trade it in or whatever, they're going to give us their old car. It's like a Ford Focus or whatever, because, you know, my daughter's 15, 16 soon. She's very busy, running around all over town. She'll be able to drive it if she gets her license. She's very anxious about driving. We have a lot of work to do. But the point is, she could drive this car if she ever gets her shit together. But we don't really have a place to park the car. I mean, we could park it behind one of our other cars, but then you're in, you know, then it's like, oh, time to go. Move this car, pull the other one out, pull the other one back in. That's, you know. So I wanted to look, I was like, I wonder, we already have some asphalt. I wonder what it would cost to make, to extend the asphalt into the yard to have room to park another car. I went online. I don't know what I entered. Something about asphalt in Olympia. I got on some, I don't know, Angie's list or something, and then I'm like, oh, this is one of those forms that if I fell out, I'm going to be in trouble. So I X'd out of it. I got out of it. I didn't fill out anything. All I did was say I was interested in asphalt work in Olympia, Washington, and I've got six fucking phone calls today. I never entered my phone number. Maybe I entered it at Angie's List one time in my life or something. Anyway, it's very annoying. still looking for an estimate for your asphalt work? Like, wait. Please leave me and my family alone. I 
see people do that on Facebook. They'll be like, you know, looking to, uh, looking for a landscaper. Any recommendations? And I always feel like that's going to put you in a weird spot. Because then people are going to recommend their friends or themselves, and then you, you can't say yes to everyone, or maybe you don't want to. But that's probably more to do with me than them. Many of my comedy, stand-up comedy brethren and sisterin. They'll post things like, here's how you can help me out. I could really use your support. If you'd like to support me on my journey, here's things you can do. And I just, I don't have it in me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll say I'm going to be at Heckler's in Victoria, British Columbia. Here's the ticket link. I'd love if you came. I've put out albums before where I, I wanted to do the... Uh, if you get like a lot of uh, reviews and stuff, in addition to people buying it, it makes you move up the charts. So I have organized that before. I'm like, hey, if you want to help me out, I am doing a thing, organizing a sort of internet street team. So, I mean, I'm not, I get it. But there's a guy Maybe you know him. I doubt you do. But like he was posting, he's been a comedian a long time, some level of success. And he was like, hey, I'm behind in my bills. I don't have any gigs booked. Let me know if you hear anything. And I think it kind of worked. This is a not Northwest person, by the way, if you're... If you're trying to guess who I'm talking about. Uh, I think he ended up getting some gigs because he was like, I need gigs. So it kind of worked. And I've done that sort of... I've done the thing where I go, I just had a gig cancel on Friday or next Friday. So I'll come to your house if you want. And it, yeah, every once in a while it works, you know. But... I don't know when I turned into a Republican grandpa, but my reaction to this guy was just like, hey, you know, my comedy work's drying up. I'm behind in my bills. And my very first reaction is, well, get a fucking job. <laughs> no one owes us anything. If you're a professional stand-up comedian, you're doing a ridiculous thing for a living. Sure, I think it puts good out into the universe. I think there's some nobility to traveling the world providing laughter. I do feel like it's a calling. But, like, if you had a friend who was, like... I'm going to have to drop at a clown college because I can't afford the tuition. 
you'd probably be like, yeah, maybe you should. And that's how I feel about stand-up comedy. We weren't drafted. We didn't receive a notice in the mail that was like, leave your regular life behind. Chuckle Sam needs you. Your country requires your humorous services. No, we're trying to do a really hard thing that not everyone gets to do. And I, I want everyone to pursue their dreams. But the whole point of pursuing dreams is they don't always work out. That's the risk, right? I mean, mine's worked out overall, but on a day-to-day basis, it fails all the time. Times are tough. Less people are giving me money to tell humorous stories in front of them. get it. I'm not saying comedians aren't allowed to be sad. I mean, I hope that's not true. If you guys ever read the book I have coming out, it should be called I'm Sad 2020 by Gabriel Lutledge. I'm sad. But good Lord. people, different guy, I've seen people like, my dream is to be a stand-up comic and my car's broken right now and I can't pursue my dream without this car, so I have a GoFundMe to get my car fixed. Go fuck yourself! Is that a website? Put it on the credit card. Like a goddamn American. I appreciate people's support. I appreciate when people give me money. It's not taken for granted. But at the same time, you don't owe me anything. You know, that little robot lady at the beginning of this podcast says, uh, if you want to give Gabriel $5 a month to listen to this podcast get the same shit everyone else does you can't there are people who do that and I feel that makes me feel good and it makes keeps me moaning I'll be honest what am I, it's probably 50 bucks a month it's not a game changer financially but it keeps me motivated to do it and I appreciate the support but there was someone who had to quit more actually more than one person who used to give me five a month and then they're like they quit and sent me an email that was like, hey, sorry. Times are tough. You owe me nothing. I appreciate everyone's support on any level, from liking one of my posts to commenting to telling me you enjoy me to buying a ticket to any of those things to listening to this podcast for free 
which really they should start doing for community service for minor offenses, but I I do appreciate it, but man, I know I'm almost 50, but that, please, I need your help. I'm trying to be a professional comedian and it's not going well. Yeah! This is a ridiculous thing to try to do for a living. Can I save my GoFundMe for medical disasters? Can I save my GoFundMe for horrific things that happen? My old friend Bert, who I have not seen in decades, but we hung out a lot after high school. He lives in New York City. He, he was on his bike. He got run over by a garbage truck and got totally fucked up. He lost an arm. I mean, he's fine now because I donated $20 to the GoFundMe. I think it was 50 But I'm just saying, life is hard. Wars, poverty, medical catastrophe. Like, what GoFundMe's did you donate to this month? Oh, uh, my old friend got a bunch of bones broken and ended up losing his arm when he got run over by a garbage truck. Also, oh, I donated to this guy who's trying to be a comedian because he needed a new carburetor. But some of this is just me being old. I heard a quote this week. Uh, I'm going to fuck it up. If you want an extraordinary life, you have to be willing to do things that ordinary people will not do. mean, when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, I'm so cool because I do stuff that ordinary people won't do. Because it's not just about comedy, but it's like, it's... Yeah, some people are born on third base and thought they had a triple. Some people are born on third base and thought they hit a single because they're dumb and they don't understand how baseball works. But, you know, someone like Donald Trump, it's like... They were born rich and they stayed rich. But whatever. Whatever actor, comedian, entrepreneur... you admire, most of us aren't willing to take that path that they took.
it's a lot easier to go like, ah, oh, I wish I was a... I wish I could be famous. Oh, fucking whatever. Tom Cruise flying around on his private jet must be nice. Most of us aren't willing to do what he had to do to get to that point. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of poor jobs that are hard as shit and no one wants to do those either. But even in, there's, I think there's a ceiling on how successful I could become because of what I'm willing to do. I haven't given up everything for my attempts at stand-up comedy, I've just given up some stuff. I never moved to L.A., I never, you know, all kinds of stuff I could have done, or more gigs I could have taken, all that. And even if if it's not a fame-based success meter. You know what I mean? Like, there's just a lot of people who'd rather work in a grocery store than own the grocery store. And I think I'm one of them. That seems like a lot of hassle. Oh, but it could be a lot more money. Like, yeah. I'll be alright. Anyway, uh, read more of my inspirational thoughts at my new website. Um, GoFuckYourself.com Do you ever, when you donate to a GoFundMe and they say like, Hey, would you like to give a certain percent to keep this website going? Do you ever say yes? I never do. I'm always like, you didn't get run over by a garbage truck. I'm not giving you two dollars. Pretty cool system we have in America, by the way, where every time there's a medical emergency, uh people go bankrupt immediately. It's a great system. And both sides of the political aisle have done a great job to address our problems. Maybe I should asphalt my whole yard and then paint it green. I'm going to go sweep the lawn. Did some shows in Seattle uh, last weekend at Club Comedy. Good shows. Uh, The first shows Friday and Saturday were sold out. But man, that disparity between sold out fun first show and 20 people at the second show. That hit me hard both nights. 
because that's what happened Friday and Saturday. And it's particularly Saturday. They were not a good 20 unless you were there, and then thank you. But holy shit. One show of like, you know, a full room laughing and, you know, I'm working in the new stuff. It's working pretty good. I'm like, yeah, all right. And then the next show of just like, kind of grind it out. Keep these very tired people's attention. Also, I was laughing to myself. Ha ha ha! That's how I laughed to myself. Uh, I think last last episode I was talking about how, you know, people in audiences now, they're just yelling shit out and being weird, and I guess I just gotta lean into it. That's what comedy is now. And, like, this weekend was a reminder that you can't always... First show Friday, there was a lady who just, it wasn't heckling, but it was just like, she got too drunk. So if you said, whatever, if you had a joke about ice cream, she'd be like, woo, ice cream, fuck yeah, you're the best, woo, ice cream, and you're like, what are you doing, you can't. That's not how this is supposed to work. And then the first show Saturday. Again, these are both overall good shows, but there's this guy who just kept yelling out, not just for me, but like he would just yell out. It was like someone would do a joke and then he'd yell out what he thought his joke was. And yeah, I did have like, Comebacks to the things he said. My wife and I, we've actually, uh, we've been together since, since we were 19 years old. Which, yeah, it's okay. You don't need to clap, it's fine. <laughs> you guys feel obligated, like, oh shit. Vagina! <laughs> well, now we know your password. But eventually, I just had to be like, Sir, I don't want you to talk. Please stop. I'm your doctor. <laughs> Sir, you're like 0 for 4, but you keep playing. I don't, I, I mean, I'm, I, I was trying to be cl- clever. I don't want you to talk anymore. Is that understood? <laughs> And I don't know, so the week before, I'm like, hey, Rutledge, just lean into this wild shit. Just lean into this crowd work. And then the next week, I'm like, I think I have to ask them to please stop earlier. Because the people in the crowd were mad. They're all annoyed at this guy. But ideally, someone yells out something, you make something funny about it that also kind of lets them know. 
please don't continue to do this. That's why the first time he said something to me, I was like, we're not a team, sir. You hope that's enough. And then when it's not, still overall a good show, but it was like, yeah, I guess there's times you can lean into the crowd work, but there's also like, there are times that like hurts the show. It's like a thing you can't run with. And man, do I, I just don't understand the mentality. I don't understand. I understand the mentality of some people who are like, I don't want to sit up front because I don't want the comic to talk to me. That makes sense to me. But that, I'm going to pay whatever, 20 bucks for a ticket. And I'm going to gift this audience some of my humorous ideas. Wow. The arrogance. The selfishness. Oh, also, I wanted to do a quick follow-up on... Uh, I talked about Asan Minaj. I mean, I didn't... I don't know what I actually said, but I... He had that uh, sort of controversy or controversy, as my UK friends would call it, uh, for making up things in his stand-up comedy routine. And I didn't know how I felt exactly, but I was kind of pointing out that, like, it's a little different to, like... You know, if he's saying his prom date in high school is racist and she wasn't, if he's saying he got a potentially anthrax mailed to his house and that didn't happen, there is... If you're exaggerating to make a joke funny, you're fine, who cares? But if you're exaggerating or lying to become more of a victim, that does seem a little weird to me. And I think I used the example of a guy who, a different guy who got in trouble for telling the story offstage that he was in the Twin Towers on 9-11 and then it came out that he wasn't. He just kind of started telling the story and it got away from him and, you know, and everyone sort of agreed, like, not that the guy should go to jail or anything, but everyone sort of agreed that, like, yeah, that's a shitty thing to do. That's a sort of a, a false victim valor thing. Well, the reason I'm following up, and I also said at the time, like, I don't know why, who wrote this article? There's nothing else going on in the world. We got to try to take down stand-up comics. I don't understand. Uh, but I watched a video that he put out, Hassan Minaj. I don't think I'm saying that right. Uh, and I mean he ha as the kids say he had receipts he had the audio of the interview with the New Yorker where he was saying things that they took wildly out of context or left out key points of uh, there were a couple of things where it's like I think even he was like, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. But, like, you know... His high school prom date did 
say to him, or her parents did say some like racist things to him. Like something about, you know, they didn't want her to go with him to the prom because of the pictures, as if his brownness would ruin the picture. But they really, the New Yorker writer really took that out of context and made it seem like it never even happened. And he had all this shit. He had all these, all this email correspondence with his person, high school prom date that he had into adulthood where, you know, they both acknowledged things that had happened. And none of that was in the article, the different stories about, anyway, yeah, did he exaggerate a little bit, but not nearly like that article made it sound like. And then I immediately felt stupid because I'm like, why do I believe anything? Because again, it wasn't just him saying Oh, they took this out of context. He played the audio. He showed the emails. So it's very, you know, even on a much less level, most of the articles I've had in the newspaper, they do just make shit up. I, I've never had to defend my character. I've never been accused of lying. I remember one article, it said, uh, it said something like, Gabriel Rutledge is happy being a working stiff comedian. That was the headline, and working stiff was in quotes. Also, not a great headline for me to, like, try to get people to come out to see me at the comedy club. Like, oh, come see this working stiff comedian. But the reality was, they asked me The reporter, whatever you call it, she asked me, are you happy being a working stiff, sort of a more working stiff comedian? And I laughed at the phrasing of it, and then I answered the question, just sort of about what it's like to do stand-up comedy when you're not in the highest echelon of, of fame and fortune. But they put working stiff in quotes in the headline that they were quoting themselves. They're the ones who said the phrase working stiff, not me. I never said that. But that doesn't matter. That's like a small thing and who cares? But like on a bigger thing, On a bigger thing where, where a guy has to, like, defend his reputation. And I think he'll be fine. It'll blow over. He's got fans. But it was really like, man, they, they did him dirty. wife's uncle just died uh, in a paving accident. No, he, he died uh, cancer. Uh, and I had not seen him in many years, but he's such a he was such a character 
that like, I don't know, he just came up all the time when my wife and I would talk to each other. Just like <laughs> weird shit he used to say. And I mean, it's not, you know, I don't mean to speak ill of the, the dead, but like, it's like, I'm not saying he was like a bad guy, but it's also like, if there's anyone at the funeral who's going to be like, he never had a bad word to say about anyone. He was so kind-hearted. The whole room's going to be like, mm, I think you're at the wrong funeral. But, you know, for... Uh, 15 years or so, every once in a while, my wife will say to each other, don't let them tell you, they don't know. We'll just say that phrase. Because one time, uh, I think we were in the car uh, with her uncle at a, a wedding. And we were, or maybe it was a funeral, driving to, uh, we were driving somewhere with him. I think he was driving with us. And he was, the kind of guy who was just like, he was always vaguely mad at everything, nothing specific. You know, in the way that people are almost nonpartisan mad at politics, like those fat cats in Washington, like nothing specific, you know? But he just started talking about, I don't know, I don't even know if I did comedy then. But we were just talking about life or what we did, and then he just he just went on this rant to someone, just the world, just a man in the back seat ranting to the world. Don't let them tell you; they don't fucking know. They'll try to keep you down. They don't. Know. Don't let people tell you what you can and can't do. And we're just like, yeah, yeah, to no one. We were never sure who told him what he wasn't supposed to do. We were never sure if he thought someone was telling us something we weren't supposed to do. But he was he 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 had had it. He was done with it. He just carried around a vague anger at the world like they're always trying to fuck you. Who's they? They don't know. Well, what actually happened? They're, they can't tell you. I kind of got the sense that he was the kind of guy that when he got pulled over would mention to the cop that his taxes, his taxes paid for his salary. I kind of got the vibe that's what he, that's what he would do. Sir, you were going 70 miles an hour in a school zone. They don't know. They can't tell you shit. Like, no, sir, it's against the law. They're always trying to fuck you. Although, you know, 
he raises a good point. I think... Going through life like that is equally healthy or unhealthy as like going through life pretending everything's great. Just saying every day's a blessing with that strained smile on your face. They don't fucking know. Uh, over well we didn't have a hot tub at the time but over there's like a little uh, through the sliding glass door of our bedroom there's like a little he made uh, a little covered area for us uh, I think when we moved in it was a dog kennel and then we you know you put down cement and a little roof one of those plasticky trailer kind of roofs that's super loud when it rains uh, but man, I think, because uh, that's the kind of shit he did for a living. But I swear he took the whole summer to do it. And uh, that's back when uh, my 21-year-old son uh, was like four or something. Maybe three, I can't remember. And it was very funny because we didn't, we didn't swear around our son at the time. We've given that up after we turned him into a Mormon, but uh, we didn't swear at him at the time, but uh, my wife's uncle uh, swore like a longshoreman, and I don't mean that as an expression. He actually was a longshoreman for many years of his life. Uh, so he'd be in the backyard like, oh, fuck, cocksucking Home Depot. These motherfuckers sold me the wrong thing. They don't, don't let them fucking tell you. And like, my son would just like look wide-eyed with like, not fear, but like excitement, like something's happening. And also he never had kids. Sometimes you ever around people who've never had kids and they just don't understand. Like they'll see an eight-year-old and be like, are they talking yet? And you're like, what? But, you know, he was like three, and they're like, can he use the saw? No, 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 he can't. He will hurt himself with a screwdriver. Please do not give him a saw. Then as soon as we left, they don't fucking know. Take the saw. Don't let him tell you. He also notoriously would show up super late for family functions. Like one time on Thanksgiving, he showed up at like 9 p.m. I mean, he did have to drive from like Federal Way to Olympia, but it was like, where have you been? Like, well, traffic. Like, really? Parenting week. 
inside my house. I don't know if anyone has lived with teenage daughters before or been a teenage daughter. A lot of emotions. It's a lot. A lot of tears. A lot of feelings. One of my daughters very upset this morning. I won't get into specifics because, you know, I don't want to air their laundry. Well, let's just say uh, I will tell you the last thing I said to that daughter before she went to school and I left on my trip was, I don't know, put on a hat and get in the fucking car. So it was that kind of morning. I mean, it is a normal developmental thing. You know? I mean, I know people a lot of times they talk about all the arguments they get in with their teenagers and that, you know, like, I hate you, mom, like that kind of thing. That hasn't happened too much. Hopefully that's not still coming, but... Everything's a 10. Every seemingly small piece of bad news is a devastating blow. But like I said, you know, that's just part of being a teenager. You know, it's probably that biological thing like to separate from the parents so they want to leave at some point, you know? These people don't get me. But man, I, you know, I pick them up from school, one of them from school, and the other one comes home. Uh, actually, I pick up both from school sometimes, but it's just like this, uh, you almost got to take a deep breath before they get in the car, like, okay, wonder what grievances from the day we have. almost flinching. Like, how how was school? Please don't hit me. But I do the same thing. I have dumb little shit in my life that eventually will be dumb, but in the moment feels like it's the most important thing in the world. I'm just older and I know how to handle it better. My kids haven't discovered Jameson. really like as an adult when you watch a teenager that's how you would act if you acted how you felt I don't want to go you don't understand that's how we would all talk if we were being honest this sucks you don't get it God That's the real you. That's the real all of us. 
teenagers just haven't learned how to mask it yet. They don't know. Don't let them tell you. God. So yeah, part of it is like, you gotta watch your my teenage girls and I go like, God, I wish they'd calm down. Sometimes I wish everything wasn't such a big deal. And then the other part of me is like, yeah, I know. Life does suck even when it's good. fortunate life, but it's still hard. God! I know. I get it. I get it. There's opening acts out there who need new carburetors. We're so blessed. Hold on, I'm getting a phone call. It's from an asphalt company. I already took a wrong turn that cost me 15 minutes on this drive. But I did it for you. You, the listener. No, you specifically, not all the other ones. Uh, I appreciate you. We're going to call that a podcast. Bye! Good!